Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. We're gonna talk about real monsters tonight. Woo! Real fake monsters. <laughs> not, uh, not the monsters of, of our real lives, our, our awesome, wonderful monsters. We're gonna talk about the monsters of the cinema. This is Unpocalypse Now, of course, and we are talking about. How dare you? How dare you, Ridley Scott? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Ridley Scott has a new movie out. Yes. And it is called Alien, Alien Covenant. Yes. And it is a film that makes me very, very worried for Blade Runner 2049. Uh, I don't know. Because Ridley Scott makes pretty films. He does. He's got a great eye, but... He does. There's... Especially when you put the trailers right next to each other, which I saw for Blade Runner. Yeah. The, the problem is, is that... Um, That's easy to copy. The story uh, on this particular movie... Well, okay, so Allied, which is a, a film promotional company, they, out of St. Louis, uh, they offered us press passes. Yes. And so Dustin and I... Took advantage of that. We went down to the theater on the 11th, 10th yeah, or 11th. the day before it opened. No, it's not open yet. It opens on the 19th. Oh, it's... We're actually, yes, we... Really? We, yeah, we got, a, we got a, a week out. Wow. And so we got to go down and watch, and we had press seats so, and everything. Yeah. Oh, like big comfy the, chairs. Yeah, and... we watched the movie from, from... And I have to say that, like, I like the concept of a reclining movie theater seat, but I don't like in practice when you like accidentally nudge it and all of a sudden you're like falling backwards. <laughs> yeah, we would look down the aisle and you would see people who had reclined basically. Are they sleeping? They were. They were it's sleeping. It's entirely possible they were sleeping. I hate to say that about an alien movie, but it, there is a chance they actually had gone to sleep. So the basic premise of this film, of course, is this is set again in between Prometheus, the first of the Ridley Scott's return to the alien universe, and the first alien film. So this is like 50 years before. Right. Um, or 40 years before, I guess, at this Ten point. Ten years after Prometheus. Right. And a number of a number of years before Alien. Right. The original film that basically gave us not only uh, one of the best movie monsters, uh, revitalized the idea of horror and science fiction as being a thing, gave us an incredibly strong female lead at a time when there were no female action heroes. Sigourney, and it basically jump-started Sigourney Weaver's career. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you a question here, because I'm the intern and dumb. Um, <laughs> Alien, uninformed. Um, so you say... New to, the, new to the... New to it, yes. So you talk, you say Prometheus is timeline with all the movies. Sure, okay. okay. So, so the first Alien film... Um, Kicked off a whole bunch of sequels that all go in the same the same time frame. They right. all get older okay. until you get to until you get to. But if you do the aliens and predator films, those end up taking place in our time. Yeah, Alien okay. versus Predator takes place in the past of the Alien films, but mostly now. But mainly, yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, these films, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, take place about two hundred years from now, ish. And no, not even that far away. Maybe one hundred and fifty years. And these, the Prometheus takes place about 50 years before the first Alien film. Okay. And it basically 
What these films are doing is they are essentially telling the origin story of the xenomorphs, which is what they call the, the alien monster from the right. alien films. Okay. Which is just, it's the, the trap that George Lucas fell in. We don't need to know this. Right. It is okay, a, but that was my next question. It is a completely I mean, unnecessary origin Listening story. to just some of the talk between you guys before this started, is it like those we did not need to Things. know. We didn't need to know why Darth Vader became a Darth Vader. It was unnecessary. But no, we do not need to know why the alien monsters became Is an the alien. alien. <laughs> it's, in fact, to some degree, it not only does it completely remove the mystery, but it also means we haven't actually really met the alien. The alien of the alien films isn't. Yeah, they're still tinkering with it. And and it, okay, so. For those of you who, who watched Prometheus or didn't watch Prometheus and have no idea, because Prometheus got some really scathing reviews, it was a very pretty film as well. But it basically involved the ship, the Prometheus, and they, they discovered what appeared to be a star map that took them to a planet that they were hoping to find the, the, the alien race that created humanity. Turns out that we discovered that we... Guy Pierce is obsessed with it. He doesn't want to die. And so he wants he wants to find the real creators of mankind, and then it all goes wrong. There's lots of pear shaped happening here, and everybody dies except uh, uh, Naomi Replace and the head of David the android played by Michael Fassbender. And she screws his head back or down to a new body, and they go off to find the alien homeworld, and that is how the film ends. Along the way, we discover several things. One, Charlie, uh, Charlize Theron cannot run uh, in anything other than a straight line, and thus will die terribly when a spaceship falls on her. <laughs> um, this is up there with Don't Run in Heels, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you find that uh, scientists in the alien universe are morons because poking the alien creature with your bare hands <laughs> apparently is accepted scientific practice. Um, thus leading to all the death. Um, and yeah, it's it was an interesting idea about alien aliens coming down to the Earth and creating humanity and then deciding later to destroy us for some reason. And without us giving the reason, we don't... So that's why they, go, they set off to this alien world to find out what the reason is, to confront, basically, we're going to go have a word with God, essentially, or the, you know, the, the creatures that made us. So... This movie takes place ten years later, where the ship, the Covenant, is taking a group of colonists to their new home, a new planet, where they're going to terraform and and create a new colony. Right. Uh, the crew of the Covenant is made up of couples. Right. For reasons. So the idea here, if you watch the you watch the additional material, the, the preview, not only do you get the previews, you get some little clips from the film, right? Which, spoiler alert, aren't actually in the film. Right. Which is a and problem. This is, this is the thing that irritated me the most, is that to understand a good quarter of what's going on in the characters' lives, you mm -hmm. have to have watched all this supplemental information. And even then, you're let, well, we'll get, we'll, get, we'll get to some of these characters in a minute, but the, the, the supplemental material, this preview stuff, you find out that these are all married couples, right? And the idea is, of course, that you're going to this alien planet 
couples are their idea is that these couples are going to be stable mm-hmm. and they're going to be able to, you know they've got these working relationships they've all got these skill sets um, and it is I think sixteen people right. uh, eight couples so you've got four two gay couples in the and I think I think there was a female gay couple I don't know you but didn't the, tell but, yeah, but, yeah, but the yeah, thing yeah, is yeah. is that this is all moot because none of this information is in the actual movie itself there's a moment like when the first gay guy dies, he like holds the other one like goes, oh, I just I just didn't I just want to tell you that I love you or whatever. Which and then there's the, some woman says she there's no point in that. Right. And and that's the only indication you have that these two even, you know, know each other any more than friends. Right. right. But in fact, in almost I can't I'm racking my brain now to think if they even mention the fact that the whole crew is made up of couples. In the film they do not. In the film. In the film they do not at all. It Except is, they say a couple people are married, but that's But that's just it. Do you know to who? No. Because that's the problem. You have no anyway, in so you're you're introduced to these characters very, very quickly. First you see, just like in Prometheus, where you had the, one of the opening scenes basically had David going through the Prometheus, turning oh, things no. on. No, we need to stop. Oh. Because we didn't oh. talk. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're right. Oy vey. So the film actually opens. Here, okay. This is how things all go wrong from the beginning. The film opens not with anything to do with, with anything. With with the ship itself or their mission or anything. The film opens with Guy Pierce and Michael Fassbender playing the younger the and... younger Wayland and David on David's first day on. The first day that the, the Android David is conscious. And they have a discussion about creation and the role of the creator and serving the creator. And David, being a machine and logical, looks at him and goes, well, you created me. Who created you? Good question. He's like, well, that's a good question. You and I will answer that question together. And he goes, hmm, but you will die and I will not. Because I'm a machine, and you're flesh and blood. And this does not go over well. And Guy Pierce is like, pour me some tea. <laughs> <laughs> and this scene is like anywhere from four to seven minutes. I mean, it's, it is a long, It is long a scene. long scene. And Guy Pierce has more dialogue than... He, this, this character, who will never appear in the film again, has more dialogue than easily half of the rest of the cast in the film. He has more spoken words on film than people who we are now expected to spend the next two hours with. Three years of our lives. <laughs> I don't know what happened here. I do not understand what happened. Anyway, you go to, we get, we end up we end up on on the ship. And it's not David's it's it's a it's a it's a Michael Fassbender model. Walter? Let's just let's just be clear. When synthetic humanoids become a thing and they start making them, they should make them look like Michael Fassbender. <laughs> like, there's there's no question in my mind that that is how they need to look. Um, but I will say maybe, like, you know, each model has, like, a, a specific thing that makes them look different. You know, like, model David should have, like, a cleft. And then, well, okay, so this because that comes up later becomes a thing anyway. When you get into when you get into the the larger alien universe, the first alien film you have a different synthetic. So we we saw and that was Ash, and then we saw Bishop in the alien in Aliens, mm-hmm. and there was the Bishop model we saw several other times. And then Call. And then Call, 
So the, they rolled out different versions, but in, in David was the first, and he was the most complex of them. And, and Silk Call was very complex. Right. She was she was part of the. They were too complex again. They well, but then but then when we have here is is by the time we get to Walter, Walter is a later model, but he's also not as intellectually fluid as David is. David was David is designed to be much more like a person. And Walter is designed to be obviously a machine. Obviously a machine. Even though he looks human, he's he doesn't behave. He's, he doesn't behave inhumanly. I mean, he's not like walking around stiff-armed, but he's he's not. He's, there's no traces of emotion. He's very much a matter-of-fact functionary kind of thing. And that's he's so we see him moving around the Covenant, doing basic housekeeping essentially. Mm -hmm. And there was a solar flare. Solar flare. Yeah, that's a uh, tachyon emission thing. And because he, he opens solar up, flares. he opens up the solar solar sails mm -hmm. to gather. It's because it's time to gather up some energy, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a freak solar flare, and it and it rips one of the one of the sails out, and that causes an energy spike, which you know causes all sorts of problems. One of the problems is that many of the pods Storage are pods. malfunction. Mm -hmm. Some some colonists die, and the captain of the ship dies. I would like to point out that the captain of the ship is played by James freaking Franco. By James Franco, uh, who will be in the film for all of three minutes, if that long. We get to watch James, for those of you who think you needed to see James Franco die. In a fire. In a fire. <laughs> this film is for you, because that's, that is actually the first thing he does. That is the, his very first scene is, here's James Franco in a pod. Yes. <laughs> he bursts into flames. And... Um, there's a woman there who's not very happy about this. Right. And this turns out to be his wife. Although, again, it's hard to tell. Um, <laughs> but uh, we will then get a single scene later where we get to see him interacting with anyone other than Fire. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, look, it's... James Franco. <laughs> Who knew? For no reason. Uh, he, again, has more footage in the supplementary material that you apparently have to watch to understand what's going on with the relationships yeah. of the people in this film, which is not how you do it, by the way. But let's <laughs> just make that very, very clear. If you go to the movie theater, you should not have to have watched other things to watch the movie. Somebody, somebody thought, somebody <sighs> took viral marketing... Like took the concept of viral marketing and like ran with it. They were like, "Let's go crazy!" Well, and it's just oh, and we'll we'll have more on this particular subject in a bit because it. So it, anyway, we got to keep moving. Um, Billy Crudup is the second in command. Somebody who is not skilled at command. Okay, he is he is a great executive officer. Right. He's very by. He, he knows the he knows the ship. He knows the how to make sure things happen. But he is not. There are people who have the personality for command. He does not. But not only that, and this is very important, I want you to remember this. Mindy, I want you to hold this idea in your head because it's going to come back later. Mm -hmm. He's deeply, deeply religious, and he's very concerned that the rest of the crew views him as an extremist. Do you have that in your head? Yes. You got it right there. You're holding it, right? I'm holding okay. on to it. Throw it away because it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything <laughs> it, else. It is a complete... Ever. No, no, no. Stop, stop. Because at one point... Daniel says to him, she go, she like looks him in the face and says, "We need your faith right now. We need you. Okay. What faith is it? We don't know. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We need your faith right now." And there he like all... takes a minute and like blinks twice and walks off. 
There will also be two other scenes later in the film where if we spent a moment more, no, really, actually more than a moment, some realistic amount of time getting to know the character, getting to know his religious beliefs, his wife is there on the, in the, sh on the crew, apparently she has some of, shares some of the same religious beliefs, we don't know, that's just an implication actually, because there's no real information to know that, but I think she does, it's hard to tell, but there's a scene later where uh, he's having a conversation with, with David, the, the android from before, and he's actually having something bad happen to him. Two scenes where his faith might have actually made a difference. And the dialogue that he has in both those scenes indicates that there might actually be a scene or 12 on the cutting room floor where we get to know anything about what he know, what he believes. Yeah. And how it matters. Because, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead here real quick into, into an, into a concept. Well, yeah, we can. No, no, I got I to okay. grab this concept here and make this very clear. When you are writing a script, and you introduce a character, and you give that character a specific trait or make a point about bringing up something about that character, in this case, a deeply religious person, and your film is about godlike aliens and monsters who look like demons, and you do nothing with the deeply religious character, you're an idiot. Because you have an amazing opportunity to tell a really cool story about a person of faith confronted with the entities who created us and the demon monsters who are trying to kill us. That could be a really cool story. I'd love to see somebody do that. It's not in this movie. No. Because... In fact, never once does does the captain, what's his freaking name, Billy Crudup's character is Orem. Yeah, Christopher Orem. Never Did once. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I didn't know <laughs> that. I knew Billy Crudup. Like I knew Daniels, Daniels, Tennessee, Tennessee Walter, Walter, and Walter David. slash David. Yeah, yeah. That, those are the names you're gonna remember. Everybody else, just okay, fodder. And you know, it's it's really like I have to stop right here and be like, Danny McBride does a great job of not being Danny McBride to the point where instead of saying he's Danny McBride, I'm saying he's Tennessee, mm -hmm. and he's not right. a good actor. But he doesn't Danny McBride the shit out of this thing. Uh, he cares about his wife. He's actually, I think, aside from Daniels, he works really well. So anyway, we don't even have to talk about him anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it's... Well, okay, so let, let's, just, let's be very clear. Um, Catherine Waterston is Daniels, who is yes. essentially the Sigourney Weaver character in this film. She does a very fine job. Okay, she is... She's, she's smaller... She she looks more like more she would she would break easier, mm -hmm. but she's a very strong person. She's a very strong character. She is the female lead of the film. She commits herself very very well as an actress, right. and the character is, with the exception of being like everybody else in this movie, probably about thirty minutes more of character development is lurking somewhere else outside and, this okay, movie. That's not like they couldn't have done it because oh, there God. is probably about twenty five minutes of them walking through fields okay. or standing by waterfalls the that film could have is, been cut. The film is two hours and ten minutes long. Mm -hmm. The first hour nothing happens. Things occur. The solar sail yeah, breaks. And, they have and, to fix it. And they... there's fires and, and, and people talk and, and things happen and people move around and buttons are pushed and yes. distress calls are discovered. Minor, minor, minor character development stuff happens. We find out we find out about the Billy Crudup feeling insecure about being in leadership. And, right. 
and you know Daniel's loved her husband and dumb stuff like oh, yeah, that. Oh yeah, and we had that moment where you get to see that maybe a minute and a half of of you know oh look she was married to a guy he died in a fire remember him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and but there's an hour of this and in that hour is some of the worst damn editing I have seen in a feature film in a really long time. There's no rhythm to the first hour of the movie. There's the scene happens and it then it just sort of stops. It's like where wait a minute. And then another scene goes on for like thirty seconds too long. And thirty seconds in movie time is forever. And it's just it's like what is happening here? It was really odd. And all I could think is I'm not learning anything about these people. And we're how long are we into this movie? And then they finally get to the planet. Oh wait, wait, stop. Oh, oh yes. on. wait, stop and <laughs> on wait. Okay. Stop. Because they are not headed to the planet. They right. are headed to a completely other planet that's still like seven years of sleeping in pods away. Now they admittedly are not all that thrilled about going back in the pods. After but... somebody died to fire in front of them. Right. Inside a pod. Anyway, but so they hear a random transmission mm-hmm. uh, of Country Road, which if you've seen a Final Destination movie, you know if you hear a random transmission of Country Road, you just turn around and you go the other direction. And I'm a little concerned that 100 years in the future, the, recog- the, the fact that the music of John Denver <laughs> is so recognizable that nobody in this crew said, Who? <laughs> No, yes, they're like, Tennessee's like, that's John Denver. And they're all like, of course. Even even I, the two, like, there are two kids, like, I say kids, they're like 20-ish year yeah. old, they're like communications officers right. or whatever. And I love them. I love them. They're actually a married couple. We know this because yes, they actually she said says, so. She says, <laughs> he, goes, he goes, I like my wife's tits. And she says, thanks, honey. And then they high five. And, and you're like, they're married, and that's nice to know. Yeah. And they actually have some of the best character development of anyone because in the show. Well, Don't know either of their names. Nope, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All we know is that they actually stayed on the ship with Tennessee, and so therefore every time we cut to the ship, as the rest of the film's going on, they're the only three characters we have to worry about. And so they can sit there and go, this is a terrible idea, but what are we, should we do about it? I don't know, but we have to do something. Yes. And, and you're like, okay, I'm getting I'm getting dynamics here. Okay, he loves her. You can tell. He's, oh, look, eye contact. It's really cool. This is called character development. Oh, wait, back to the planet. Okay, oh, great. great. We don't care about any of these people. Go back up to the ship where the people we like are. Oh, God. So, yes. Yeah. So they get this, they get this transmission. And, and yeah, not even the two, like, 20-year-olds are like, who's John Denver? And I... Shit, I guarantee you that when those two kids read this script, they were both like, I gotta go, who's John Denver? And they're like people who live in the world now. They're like, what's John Denver? Uh, so anyway. Um, so they figure out it's coming from this planet, and they go, huh. It's only a couple of weeks away. We and, can just fly there. And it's a human transmission. And so the argument is, we have to go check it out because it's a human transmission. Well, there no, should be no human transmission. That's Billy Crudup's right. uh, argument. Daniels, who is the second in command, her argument is, no, we don't because that's, number one, not where we're going. Number two, not our job. <laughs> number three, we have 2,000 people who are expecting to wake up where we're going, not some other rando place. And But because... and. It, you get there's enough there's enough here to get the sense in the scene like this 
that Billy Crudup's character is like, he's trying to be a captain right now. He's trying to make important decisions because he's insecure. Mm -hmm. And you get that sense in these little moments, and there it works. Because he sits there and goes, we should do this. And she's like, I'm going to officially make a... Uh, officially disagree with you. I'm gonna. I need to. I need to put a notice in there that I disagree. And he's like, "Okay, we'll do that. You're dismissed." And that conversation is over. She does what she's told to do. You know, it's it's a crew that functions that way. They they follow orders. But interestingly enough, they get close enough to that planet. They're going, "Hey, this is like awfully Earth-like. Mm-hmm. Like really, really Earth-like." How oh, did we miss this planet? Yeah, we should have seen this. And so they get in close, and the, the planet is covered in storms. And so they're like, well, we, we can't take the ship down. We wouldn't want to take the ship down anyway. Oh. Right? And we're going to send down a lander. Now, I would just like to point out at this particular juncture, one of the problems with Prometheus was a tendency of the crew of the Prometheus to take their helmets off in an alien environment... <laughs> and thereby expose themselves to, oh, I don't know, death. Unknown pathogens. Exactly. Now, if you saw the first Alien film, you'll note that our entire crew, when they go down to the planet, mm-hmm. they keep their suits on, with their helmets on and everything, and the alien facehugger goes through the faceplate. He doesn't take off his helmet to sit there and go, John Hurt does not sit there and go, I can't see, and take off his helmet. He sits there and he looks at the thing, and the thing explodes in his face and bursts through his helmet. uh, And it's, you know, the fact that he doesn't die is because there's a little bit of atmosphere on the planet, Mm -hmm. right? So in Prometheus, people take off their helmets all the time in this alien craft with exposure to pathologens, yes, and alien life forms that kill them. And this is how they die. Everyone's out there, my God, what a bunch of morons. So, Covenant. Covenant. They wear their flax, they wear their jackets, their cute little hats with the ears. Mm-hmm. And that's it. No helmets. No, no spacesuits. No. This is. Let's also remind ourselves here that this is a colony ship. Mm-hmm. They're going to go to a planet they have never been to before. No one has. All the information they have about this planet comes from probes. So they are going to terraform it. You go to terraform a planet means you're going to change it to be more like Earth. Not, we're going to, you know, plant a garden and it'll be prettier like Earth. No, it's, we're going to change things. Right, so, in fact, Daniel's, like, she's the terraformer. Right. Like, she's got all the big bulky equipment that's going to go and make, like, you know, like, water. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yes, they go down to the, oh, and um, wait, they also, they also have an artificial human on board. They have a synthetic person. They have a walking, talking probe that they can send down to that planet who could walk around and go, this seems oddly like Earth. And, oh God, it's an alien in my face! Ah! (laughs) No. Three quarters of the cast go down to the planet without any suits on. Oh, they bring along the robot. <laughs> Come on, Walter. This will be fun. You'll you'll have a kick. We'll okay. have a kicker. So, all right. So, fine, fine. People do stupid things in movies. Fine, it's a science fiction film, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No, I'm sorry. This is a, one of those excuses that just doesn't wash, because it's so mind-numbingly stupid. And it's not like it's not. It wasn't a complaint about the previous film in the movie in the series. And then we get to meet one of the characters in the film. She's the pilot. Mm-hmm. She's Danny McBride's wife. wife. 
the, the Tennessee's Tennessee's wife, and she is capable, smart, and very a good re- pilot. Very very good at what she does. In fact, uh, Billy Crudup's like, Are you "Okay," she's like, "I am fine." I'm They're driving flying. a thing. I'm driving a thing through a hurricane. Leave me alone so I can drive a thing through a hurricane. And he's like, are you, and she's like, are you sure? And he's like, she's like, I'm gonna come out of this seat and hit <laughs> you, hit you with a with my face, and then I'm gonna drive this thing to the hurricane. And so she, and she like, is, she is calm and cool and collected, and she's like, you know what? I don't like this terrain. I'm gonna set us down over there. You guys can walk in. It's just gonna be safer on the ship. And they're like, okay, because she knows what she's talking about. She is a capable individual. This is important for later. Keep yeah. that in your head. This actually is important for later, so yes. do keep that in your head. This isn't like a religious character having... No, this is a real important okay. thing. <laughs> so, like, all the crew, like, goes out, and, like, the science officer, she who is who is Billy Crudup's wife, uh, she, like, is taking samples, and, like, like in the background, like, certain people are being infected with these spores. Mm-hmm. Like, two people get... get they split off, because yeah. she... The... Uh, the Billy Crudup's wife goes off, and she's doing. She's she's looking for like uh, pools of water, pools of water, and, and so know. she wants to, to pick up samples. And so she's got a security guy with her. About four of the four or five, no, but th- six, six doesn't matter. Six I'm, I'm of the, about six of the crew are security people. They're there to protect them against. Oh, I don't know something they might encounter on their new planet they're going to. So there could be dangers there, so they have guns. Right? all of them have guns of some kind. They're all armed. right. But not suits and helmets. But not suits and helmets. So, so she's kept with this guy, who then says he has to go off to the bathroom. He does not go off to the bathroom. He goes to have a cigarette. Now, no, I'm not even going to go there. It's such, it's such a dumb, <laughs> it's a dumb moment in a in a movie that's like, why are we doing this? So the rest of them go off, and they're following the signal, right? The the John Denver signal. And I'm picturing Polly Shore from Son in Law. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's. Equivalent, equivalent decision making, maybe. And so they find it. They find like, huh? It seems to be at a high elevation. So they start climbing up this mountain, and then they discover there's an alien spaceship there. And they're like, huh? Let's pop our heads in, shall what's we? What's going on here now? <laughs> anybody else? I don't know, Dustin. You're a smart guy. And I like to think I'm a relatively intelligent person. If you and I had to come across an alien spacecraft, we, we are on a colony ship. We have discovered an alien spacecraft. Is our first thing we're going to do to walk inside? We've got twenty. Th- we've got 2,000 people back on the spaceship that's in orbit that we are charged with protecting. There is an alien. Yes, I know. It is incredibly, you know, it's there. It's alien. It's fascinating. We are not just, are we just going to walk in? Or are we going to sit there and go, okay. Let's figure this out so that we don't get ourselves killed by whatever is in there. Because you and I have watched movies at some point in our lives. I refuse to believe these people have never watched a horror film. Because <laughs> you have to watch at, at some point, don't you have to sit there and go, okay, I want to go in really, really bad, but let me get some lights first. Yeah. Let let's... me let me move the ship a little closer so that if I got to get my ass out of here, I'm not running down a mountain to do it. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's, no, they just stroll right in. Oh. I wonder if they baked cookies. And it's not like in Prometheus, where they went out looking for alien life. These folks are like, oh, shit. There's an alien spaceship here. That's where the human transmission is coming from? Okay. And so they go in. They go in. Meanwhile, science lady and and uh, officer 
nic- nicotine breath. Um, he starts getting sick, and so she's like, let's go back to the ship. And he's right. like, oh, that'll be great. So they start heading back to the ship, and he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so that by the time she they get there, he's like, she is dragging him. And so right. she gets the pilot, and she's like, he's like, the pilot's like, we have to do quarantine. Don't touch anything. Get him back in there. And we are we have to quarantine him because he's obviously sick with something from this planet. And the only problem with this scene is the fact that it the, seems like the only logical thing. Well, well it's, it's very that's logical. Been said. Well, well yeah. <laughs> compared to you know, yes. no, what should call it? Let's stop with all these people. And hey, look, alien ship. Let's go. Right. You're right. Yes, it is. Puffins. It is a very reassuring scene for somebody who goes, okay, they're going to behave in, in logical, rational ways. The only problem with this scene is the layout of the ship itself. Because the quarantine bay is pretty much on the other side. You have to walk like all the way through the ship to go it. Right. To it. And this is a giant, big dude. And this is a little tiny woman trying to carry him. Neither one of them is big. into everything. everything. And they, but they get him in there. And she gets on the, on the radio. And she's like, uh, we have a problem. And we have got to go. Meanwhile, they're back at the alien ship poking around. And they discover... That uh, there's there's signs of humanity here. You find the the, the dog tags mm-hmm. of Elizabeth Shaw, who was the scientist from Prometheus. It's not looking like she's alive, and they find a recording inside the ship. And the alien recording things are this sort of diaphanous mm-hmm. hologram thing. And so it's this kind of fuzzy line outline drawing thing of Elizabeth Shaw singing John Denver songs. Which, sure, okay. So it looks like, you know, it's like, what's going on? And they get the notice that, okay, we got to get back. We, somebody's sick. Your guy's sick. We have to go back. And then they get outside and discover that one of their security guys is sick. This guy who is sick on their group will turn out to be the husband of the head of the security team if you watch the supplementary material. <laughs> but you don't know no, that. You don't know that. You don't know that. You All know. you know is that when this guy does die, uh, as he dies later, spoiler, um... <laughs> The head of the security team will be very, very upset. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway. So they're running back, and things are, you know, things are, they're like, they're, they're a ways away from yeah. the ship. Probably, yeah, things are starting to happen. And and the, here's where here's where there's, like, a breakdown, because for me, it starts, like, it becomes very hand the writer, because we see this very capable female pilot just dissolve into a hysterical woman. The security guy starts having seizures and stuff, and she locks him and the scientist lady in the medical bay. And because the science... he threw up on the science lady. Yeah. And she's like, no. She's, I'm sorry, spit up blood. I mean, she, yeah. she spit up no, blood. No, blood on pilot. Because she's covered in blood when she goes to Well, home. she comes back in. She comes back in. Remember yeah. when his back splits over? That's when she gets splattered oh, okay. blood. So, but the the science lady gets blood on her because he basically spits it up all over her face and chest. So she locks them both in there, and she's following quarantine rules mm-hmm. as much as she can. She's separating the two people who've been exposed from everybody else. Now she is freaking out, and to some degree, I can accept her freaking out because this mm-hmm. is it went from "Hey, we're on an alien planet" to "Oh God, mm-hmm. things are going all wrong." Now, had they kept on their environmental suits? Or put them on in the first place. <laughs> None of this would have happened. But let's not dwell on people behaving in a rational manner. Right. Very little of that will actually happen in the rest of the movie. So 
But yes, but Dustin's quite right. She does freak out. Now, you would like to think that the people who would go on an intergalactic mission that would take years, something like 30 years to they get to the planet. They are not coming back. It's a one-way trip. And they are going to a planet that they do not, they only know so much about. That these people who were, you know, would have a certain amount of adaptability. Now, admittedly, spitting up blood, going from zero to spitting up blood, is freaking you out, okay? But things are only going to get worse from this point on. Because while she is in there, the guy uh, starts making, like, really horrible cracking noises with his body and twisting and popping, and his back kind of splits open. Okay. And in the first Alien film, and all the Alien films, you've had the thing called the chestburster. Which is this little wormy thing with little tiny arms. The and thing like, from Spaceballs. Thing from Spaceballs. Yeah, okay. only without the singing. Oh. And it's one of the great scenes in the first Alien film. Completely unexpected, amazing moment of, of just creepy of horror and suspense. Well, this one comes out his back, and it basically blows open his back, blows through his his spinal cord, and it's different. It's not a chest burster. It's more of a. Uh, it's already moving around in a way that the chest yeah. wasn't. And then it goes after uh, the science lady. Mm-hmm. And this is not going well. It is then, so there's a, there's a certain degree of freaking out that is happening here, which I, you can certainly understand, because this was not what we were expecting. We are expecting people's backs to blow open with, with alien little monsters leaping out of them. Nonetheless... You just kind of get this feeling that she shouldn't be freaking out this bad. Right. Doesn't... Everybody's already losing it. Like, and, and you know, she tries to save people and it causes a chain reaction. And, you know, it just... <sighs> Basically, the, the, th- the alien creature gets out and she just, starts, she just starts shooting at it. And to some degree, again, you can un- kind of understand this. You, know, you are not prepared to encounter an alien creature. And it's trying to kill you. But at the same time, we got such a... She came in so strong. Mm-hmm. We established this so strong that she is this, you know, capable and strong person. And then suddenly to have her just turn into this, you know, f- screaming, freaking, you know, might be very, very human. But it feels, in the context of the film, feels really, really bad. I don't know. It's just unfortunate because she does come across so strong. Meanwhile, the rest of the people are scrambling back to, to get back, and they've got their own security guy who is coming to pieces. And as they get close, a couple of things happen. One is that the alien gets out of this, the ship, the, the lander, and the lander blows up. Their way off the planet just went kaboom. <laughs> and not only that, there's three of their crew inside, and they don't know that the people inside, there's this guy, this, this thing burst out of the guy's back. They don't know that he's killed uh, the science lady. And they don't know why the glander blew up. But all they suddenly know is that three people who have family, you know, spouses on this thing are dead all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And then they... You know that they're spouses. Right, right. Not that you have. Yeah. Uh, then you find out, of course, that they, they find out the alien creature has gotten out because it starts attacking them. And then the one comes out of the other dude. Right. And so there's two of them. And... And so it, it really drops our cast of people that we have no clue about anything about them down super fast. Now, I will say this scene is relatively effective. The, the action bits in this film are not bad. Sometimes you worry about an action scene where it's hard to follow what's going on. In a scene like this, it's kind of good. 
that you don't know what's going on altogether because they don't. It's a, I mean, so there's this real sense of confusion, mm -hmm. and it works really well. So suddenly, you have this thing burst out of the, the wheat. Uh, we'll come back back to that in a minute. Uh, we forgot to mention that. Oh right, yeah, it so doesn't matter. We'll it burst out and like tear off half a guy's face, or half a girl's face. It's like, oh, yeah. it's one of the female cast members. I don't know what her name is, and I don't remember the name of the character. So well, she's dead. Um, it's really, it's you know, very sudden and very and very dramatic. It's not going well for our heroes. Suddenly, a giant. Uh, flare bursts into the sky and it falls and it chases away the aliens and there's a six foot hobbit standing in front of them. Mm -hmm. And when I say a six foot hobbit, I mean he's got the cloak and the bare feet and he looks just like a hobbit. It's amazing. So he's like six feet tall. And it's Michael Fassbender David. Mm -hmm. He's like, come with me if you want to live. Oh, I'm sorry, come with me if you want to live. Except not. Except not. <laughs> and they follow him, and they're all running, and Dustin's kind of giggling at this point in the theater. I mean, because, like, he's he's got this cape on, and every move he makes, it's got that cape noise. Yeah. <laughs> and he's running, and they're chasing after him, and it's like... Nobody falls down, by the way. They're running through forests, down hills. Nobody trips. Yeah. I need to take a few uh, tips from them. I yeah. know, it's pretty amazing. So then they run up to this city. These walls, I'm sorry, this giant wall. They go through the wall, and inside you find this city. And it's like um, Pompeii. Yeah. It's, it's stony, fossilized bodies forever. It's this giant plaza full of corpses. Um, or it looks like the statues of corpses, you know, whatever. You, so you're running through it, and they follow them through, and they're all like, okay. Are we going to be safe here? And he's like, oh, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. And so they get in there, and he pulls back, and he goes, hi there, I'm Dave. And they're like, oh, you're from the Prometheus. And he goes, yes, I am from the Prometheus. And Walter's like, I know you. You're like an earlier version of me. And they're like, huh, are we really safe? And he goes, oh, yeah, you're fine. Everything's fine. Come on in. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. Oh. I'm not fine. You're not fine. Elizabeth Shaw, yes. No, it's, it's really sad. She died. It's, it's too bad. And they're like, oh, okay. Note... Okay, Mindy, should you ever find yourself on an, a trip to an alien world, okay. and you find yourself following a distress signal, mm -hmm. John Denver music, Obviously, specifically. Turn around. Well, first of all, yeah, don't even go. Okay. But should you go down, and you go down on the Under duress. Okay, so you're Daniels. You're like this lady, and every time you've turned around and said, this is a bad idea, everyone has been like, oh, st uh, put your vagina away. Nobody needs to know your thoughts. And... So now you are in a room with the with a David, and he's like, "You're totally fine." Are you just going to be like, "Yes, wonderful"? No. Okay. Good. <laughs> this is the correct response. This is not what happens in the movie, but that is the correct response. They're like down to five people at this point. Yeah. And still, know any of them? Doesn't matter. And Billy Crudup's like, um, "Do you feel safe here?" And Daniels is like, "I'm not sure I do." And Walter's like, you know what? I'll go talk to him. You know, we'll talk brother to brother. And they're like, okay. And because they trust Walter. Mm -hmm. Walter is, and Walter seems to have a good working relationship with Daniels. And at this point, until we're about to get a scene where that relationship is cast into a different light. But up until this point, there's no reason for anybody else to think that he's got anything more than a professional relationship. Mm -hmm. He's a machine who works well with this human. Well, he goes to have a discussion with David, and David's like, 
I'm going to teach her how to play the recorder. And Walter's like, do we have time to have an entire scene about learning how to play the recorder? And David's like, no, not really, but we're going to grind the entire film to a halt to show you this scene where we're going to make the audience think I'm going to kill you with this recorder every time the camera moves because that's exactly what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And every time the camera goes behind Walter's head, you just keep expecting to see that recorder burst burst out out the the back Yeah, And it doesn't happen. Instead, it's a scene about the power of creation and how David was designed to be very much like a human. Creative and have the drive to learn, and Walter just wasn't. Right. Walter is designed to be a helper to the crew, and David is designed to be more and Walter very matter fashion goes, Yeah, they changed that. They found that well they were everyone thought you were creepy, David. You were a little too human. And he, and Walter's like or David's like, That's a terrible shame. You could be more and Walter's like, Hmm, possible? Not really had the time for me to be thinking about this right now. Aren't he, there monsters? Like should we And and David's like, you know, I can tell you have this thing for Daniels. And Walter's like, uh, robot over here? <laughs> Shy on the emotions. And David's like, oh no, I can tell. Come, let me show you and let us quote Let us quote uh, poets at each other. And, and then deep tongue kiss each other because that literally happens. Uh, it does. Now, I just want to... I, 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 will t- I almost <laughs> leaned over to Tim in the theater and said, they're about to kiss. But... I didn't want the fan fiction to write itself. And, like, I seriously, because I was thinking the same thing, like, David is about to kill Walter, and then when he stopped with the whole music lesson, and they're standing there, I was like, David is about to kiss him. And, and I almost leaned over and was like, they're mm-hmm. about to kiss, and they, I didn't. I held my tongue. And then they did, and I was like, John Denver music What well? is happening? <laughs> Why? There is... Even Michael Fassbender is attracted to Michael Fassbender. Well, of course he is. I would date Michael Fassbender. (laughs) Are you kidding me? He's pretty. But here's the thing, is that David... Okay, so there's a really interesting film that this film doesn't have in it, and it should. The actual movie? Yeah, the actual... This should actually be in the film, because you have... And Michael Fassbender is really, really, really good in this film. Both his Walter is very distinctly a separate character from David. Mm-hmm. Walter is, I mean, there's the, a different in accents, which helps because Walter's got an American accent, and David's got the English accent. But so that's an obvious one. But very quickly, you discover that David is insane. He is when you make you, yeah you've made a you've made a, a, a an artificial mind so much like humanity's. That it snapped. And he is rational and calm and completely batshit crazy. And Walter is looking at this and going, huh, things are awry. And the two playing off each other is really, really interesting. And just like you could have had a really cool movie about a religious man facing against crater gods and demon monsters... You could have had a really cool movie about them discovering that the rope, the artificial intelligence that saved them, is mad as a bloody hatter and is is committing these atrocious, uh, these atrocities. And you could have drawn that out 
It made it into this, this very suspenseful thing where when it's revealed, it turns into this nightmare and then suddenly the aliens attack and it's all this stuff. This is not what happens, by the way. No. <laughs> it kind of happens in a weird kind of distant way. Right. Nobody, nobody, who, nobody who has any business knowing David is crazy finds out David is crazy until it's far too late. So instead of having less, you okay, you go to the you go to the house and you're the guest at the house, and then over the course of dinner, and then later that night, and then by noon the next day, you've come to realize that your host has killed the last three house guests and their bodies are in the basement. The horror film gives you time to figure that out. You don't find that out the first fifteen minutes into the film, right? But this is essentially they arrive at the house. Oh yeah. And he's crazy pants, and he's going right. to kill us all. Because you have this great bit where you see that he's settled in. He's he's built into this space. He's got this living space, and he's made it into this nightmare world of experiments and diagrams and sketches. And this should be this should be unfolding. This should be building, and this should be it's yeah. A, this should be tension and terror. And the the thing that, that, like, as he says that Dr. Shaw died in the crash, and then they find drawings that are obviously of a woman, bisecting a woman, Mm -hmm. and, you know, things, different stuff that, you know, and it's like, no, she obviously didn't die in the crash. Everything that he tells them is a lie. He basically says, uh, you know, she died in the crash. They didn't crash. They landed. Well, no, they crash later after he kills all of the aliens. He basically mm. shows up and he says, oh, there was a there was an accident. He's like, no, he deliberately bombs them with this... Uh, uh, Calcify, something that turns them Murder, death poison. And, I mean, he slaughters the entire species. I guess anyone who's not off-world. Yeah, oh, all the animals. Because earlier, Daniel's is like, do you hear any birds or anything? Yeah, all the- Everything is dead. They killed, killed all the life forms, everything except plants. And ever since, he's been experimenting and making, building a, building a better monster. And because he thinks humanity has had its time. And that there, you know, obviously, he's the only proper artificial intelligence, and therefore he clearly can't repopulate the universe and by himself. So he's going to create a new species, and they will be the ultimate predator. This turns out to be the aliens from the alien movie. So again, the alien we meet in the alien films was grown in a lab by a psycho android made on Earth. This is right. not necessary. Yeah, we don't need any of this. So instead of having these really cool dramatic scenes where these characters have these creepy moments and it builds and you lay out all these really cool diagrams and this sense of horror and this sense of dread and this alien world where we get glimpses of all these wonders and horror, and then we look away, never to look at it again. <sighs> Meanwhile, back up on the ship, Danny McBride is does not realize his wife is dead. Does not realize that most of the crew is dead because there's this hurricane thing getting away in their transmissions. And the computer says, well, if you were to get closer, maybe you could punch through with the radio. And his, the two crew members go, uh, no, you don't want to do that, because you get too close, you'll wreck the ship. 2,000 people. 2,000 people in the back of them. And he's like, damn it. <laughs> and they're like, and then things happen, and scattered little words come through about bad things, and he's like, we got to get closer. And they're kind of like, all right, you're right. 
And so And again, the best the best character development of the entire movie happens with these three characters, yeah. two of which I don't even remember if their names were spoken at all. I think they probably said them once. Yeah. And we know the wife has nice breasts. Yeah. And and Tennessee, who they say like a thousand times. Right. Everyone calls him they always call him Tennessee in every conversation. So Tennessee. How are you to Tennessee? Would you like some 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 tea, Tennessee? <laughs> so uh, things are going poorly on the planet because the script requires that people wander off to die. So the first woman to wander off to die decides she wants to go wash off, wash up. And then people decide they're going the rest of these people decide they're going to let her wander off on her own in this alien citadel that they just got to, and they have only the assurance of a total stranger that it's safe. Even though they know there's alien things outside that were trying to kill them. They say, sure, go on, wander off. She goes and wanders off. And, and she, probably killed by an alien. Right. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> splash, splash. <laughs> right. And then, and then two other guys do the same thing, and... And Billy Crudup becomes gets face huggered and well Billy Crudup goes off and he goes to talk to David and David does the, the you told me about the, I had to go to the bathroom I actually oh. left the scene and, oh, right. and, and Dustin tells me that apparently there, came back. I did come back I didn't run, I didn't keep running and Dustin had keys to the car yeah <laughs> it was not the theater was not close Uber. Um, <laughs> so Dustin comes back I come back and Dustin tells me there was a thing that happened where Billy Crudup talked about seeing the devil as a child yeah. Which, if he, we knew more about his religious beliefs, might have mattered. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so David says, "Hey, I want to show you something. You know, I've been doing these. I've been doing these things. I've been keeping myself occupied. I've been, you know, I've been building a, uh, you know, a man yeah. up on the slab. You know, <laughs> with long hair and tan. So anyway, so they go in. This would have like, been so much better. Yeah. If Bill, if, if Michael Fassbender had broken into, um." <laughs> transsexual from Transylvania. I would have, <laughs> I would have gotten up and cheered. That would have been hysterical. Right. But anyway, it didn't happen. So he takes him down to the basement and says, "It's it's an egg. It's an egg from an alien movie." Right now, Billy Crudup does not know this. Yes, he has, and on one level, he has no reason to think that he is getting set up to mm-hmm. become an. Alien. And I remember the original. Like I remember. Recently, like the the like thirtieth anniversary of the original Alien mm-hmm. movie was, and they they did all these articles. And one of the things they talked to the, to the Geiger, H.R. Geiger, and he said that he designed the way that the the alien eggs opened in a way that draws human curiosity. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks like a flower. In a way. Yeah, and people, when you see something open, your initial response, your animal response is. I wonder what's in there. You know, you you want to look. Mm-hmm. And and you've got a character at this point he has no reason to think that David is insane. He also doesn't have that much reason to trust him. But he did kind of save their lives. So it's this push-pull thing. And it basically gloms onto his face and it's all over. Right. Except uh, for when later he wakes up, David's throwing rocks at him and he wakes up and he says something along the lines of, do you believe in anything or like something? Well, he goes, yeah, what do you believe in, David? And you don't get a proper answer in that. So, meanwhile, meanwhile, the head of the security is wandering around, and he and another guy have discovered that 
David's got this lab, <laughs> and there's things in it, and Walter's wandering around and discovered that David's got some charts and graphs, and they're kind of a people getting cut open and things, like Elizabeth Shaw <laughs> getting cut right. open and having an alien stuffed down her throat. Meanwhile, yeah, Daniels is finding... Finding all these crazy things. And uh, the and... problem is, again, this all happens at the same time. And so it loses a lot of its its tension if they're all doing this. But they all figure out basically that this is bad. And so the security guy comes downstairs and discovers that uh, Billy Crudup has like, got a hole in his chest. And it all you know, the alien comes out after him. And they're shooting and dying. And, and then uh, uh, Daniels and... David get into a discussion and he's like, "Well, yes, I'm going to do the same thing to you. You're going to be, you're going to be so nice, uh, pinned to my wall." And then Walter shows up and goes, "I really don't think so." And they fight. Then they fight. And they and fight. Everybody fights and everybody runs and screams. And, and they run and scream and they get away. And the ship, the the uh, Tennessee has gotten one of the one of the uh, lifters. It's not. It's not actually meant to to be a lander. It's right. it's basically designed to. To have a crane on it, and it's construction equipment, mm -hmm. and he flies that down rather awkwardly, and they get on board, and basically, you know, while while there's this big action set piece where Daniels is attached to a tote like a line, and she's got a gun, and she's fighting the alien, and it's zipping around, and she's falling all over the place, and the alien's falling all over the place, mm -hmm. and, and it's really cool, and except for they do the exact same like where she's standing there and like the ship turns and she slides down and swings underneath it like four times yeah which well it, it, we've seen that in a bunch of other different right. films too but it's it's you know the kind of a variation it's it's the construction variation of the the lifter scene yeah. Tony weaver has in aliens really it's kind of an expansion yeah. of that and then meanwhile like meanwhile daniel and walter are fighting and they look exactly alike so you don't know who is winning and so when when one of them what, what appears to be Walter comes and then sounds like Walter and looks like Walter. Everyone's like, okay, well, it's Walter. And so it's them and one other guy they, and, and Tennessee, and they get back to the ship. After they killed the alien, the alien is dead. And they have got back to the ship, and they're all sad because all of their friends are dead. Yes. But damn it, they're going to go back in the cryo sleep. They're going to go back off to their original, the planet they were supposed to go to because that's what you do. Mm -hmm. when things have gone this wrong. Well. <laughs> so they get all tucked into their nice little pods and everything is going fine. And throughout the films, one of the few moments of, of information that we've gotten about Daniel's relationship with her husband is that he wanted to build a cabin by the lake on this new world of theirs. And so they brought he actually brought the materials for him to build a wood cabin. And now that he's dead... She doesn't know what to do, because she really doesn't care about building a wooden cabin. And earlier, she had had this whole conversation with Walter. And so she looks at she looks at Walter leaning over her in the pod, and she says, Will you help me build the cabin? And he looks at her and goes, Hmm? <laughs> and she looks at him and goes, Shit. You're David. <laughs> and David looks at her and says, Shh. Don't let the bed bugs bite. I'll make sure the children are tucked in. And seals are in for the pod. And now he has a ship of 2,000 lab rats, plus the surviving crew members. And he goes, 
down to um, where they've been storing the embryo, the frozen embryos. Oh right, yeah. There's this whole thing earlier yeah, where they have two thousand people, but they also have something like one hundred and fifty embryonic human beings as well. So for reasons we we saw one earlier that had failed, and so they replaced it. Well, he regurgitates two uh, alien embryos mm-hmm. and puts them in the in the same container as the human embryos, and it's a genuinely chilling scene. If you think about it, he's basically a mad scientist who's quite content to use humans as his subjects, and he has a captive audience. Right. There's nothing that can stop him from killing everybody on board and turning them into his own little private, um, you know. Yeah, he can perfect the alien that we see coming up in Alien. Right. Because he's got plenty of people to do it with. And uh, he sends a transmission back as Walters that it says, like, this will take like a year and a half to get back to you, just so you know. The whole crew died. Well, yeah, and, it, yeah. Said, and we're on our way, and we will we will go to the planet, and everything is going to be fine. And that's when the movie ends. Now. So it sounds like they kind of got it right for what they were supposed to kind of do for. Well, and honestly, the, I would say. sci-fi type movie. For. By the end of it. Yeah. At the very end, yes. And for a the villain wins in the end movie, it's a very effective moment, except for the fact. <laughs> that there are like six times after Walter rejoins the crew that you're like, that's obviously not Walter. <laughs> right, because because one of the aliens does make it back onto the ship. And so they have the run through the ship and figure it out. They kill off the cute couple from the bridge yeah. who, who are having sex in, in the right. shower. Right, I was so irritated by this because it's like, just let the kids live. Just let those two kids who had like the only moments of character development were with these two, you know, this young married couple. Just let them live. And one of the You're few, let Tennessee live. Let and one of the few live. moments where you actually see these couples actually have intimacy and romance, they gotta die. Yeah. It's, like, it's sex in a horror film. You gotta kill them, right? <laughs> so, they're all dead. And they're running, they finally figure out a way to kill off the alien. And they kill off the alien. And it's, and it's such, it's, it's such a rip-off of aliens, it's such you don't know, but it's such a ripoff of aliens. They do almost the exact same thing that they do in Aliens in this movie. So there are plenty of opportunities for us. And they keep cutting back to Walter on the bridge because he's sort of coordinating this. He's not he's, as a robot. He's not meant to be out doing these things. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be he's information and coordination. And so you see him. Looking at and he's helping them. He's 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 hurting the alien just the way they want to, but you look at his face and it's an expressionless face. Michael Fassbender does expressionless face very mm-hmm. very well, but I got news: expressionless faces can tell you what they're thinking anyway. And there's a scene where an alien's looking right at the camera, at the the security camera, and he's looking right at it. And I'm going, oh, f- it's David. Yeah, <laughs> it's so David. And so when the, yeah. when the reveal happens, you're like. Oh, I'm so surprised. Dustin, were you surprised? I was not surprised. You were not surprised. So it's really disappointing. It's so disappointing. It is a beautiful looking film. I mean, it is gorgeous. The production design is gorgeous. And there are some great moments. There are. There are some really good. There, you know, like I said, I wish, you know, the only time that I had a genuine reaction that anyone was dying when it was like, those kids are going to die. And I was just like, I like those kids. I don't yeah. know either of their names. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. They, you, they, yeah. they, they came across as characters. 
So you you feel something for them. And Daniels and Billy Crudup's character and Walter are all very, they're very shaped characters. You care about them to a degree. But then you have Billy Crudup's character, again, had all this potential to tell this, you know, I mean, could you imagine him having a religious, He should. we should have gotten the scene where he's having a religious debate with David. Mm-hmm. There should have been that scene. If you're going to establish a deeply religious character, put him up against the mad scientist who's playing God. Right. This should have been... Why don't you, you should, have that? This should have been the haunted house science fiction movie. You're mm-hmm. right. It should have been, we've been invited to dinner and our host is a madman. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh. it shouldn't have had... It, it, it would have stuck to that if it, we would have gotten that. And the pieces are there, but you mm-hmm. actually have the castle. You have the experiments. You have the laboratory. You have all the elements they are spend, there. And, but they don't spend enough time. And they they're spend, gorgeous. They spend a great 40 minutes wandering around well, at the yeah. very beginning of this movie. The first half of the film needed to be... 20 minutes of character development for... I mean, just 20 minutes of character. Get the 20 minutes of solid character development and then jump into the story. But that's not what happened. And it's so frustrating because it looks good. It's a fantastic cast. The effects are great. There's, the, there's a couple of moments where the CG shows through a little bit. But for the most part, I mean, the aliens are actually guys in suits um, uh, when they can be. And it's, it's a great-looking film. But the pacing and the predictability of it, halfway through the film, as soon as as soon as the death started happening, I started mentally checking off a checklist. And I was right more often than I was wrong about what was going to happen next. And that was really... And then, yes, I watched a lot of movies. We, we watched a lot of movies. Yeah. We know story. So, I mean, some audience... I, the reviews... I've, some, I've seen some other reviews where people have said that they thought it was a return to form after Prometheus, mm-hmm. the alien films. And I'm thinking, but shouldn't we have more? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we be expecting more from Ridley Scott coming back to Alien to basically have this... I don't know. It's so frustrating. This film could have been so much more than it is. And it's just... It's not. <laughs> it's really disappointing. <laughs> And I'm worried about Blade Runner 2049. Because, well, look, he he has had such a major influence on genre fiction. Alien, Blade Runner. I mean, these are films that defined how we looked at horror films, horror and science fiction films. Blade Runner influenced fashion. It influenced how we looked at the future. It's what we were expecting. You know how many times I watched it in college and had to write papers on it? It's, I mean, it's, but I, and, okay, it doesn't matter, nothing, Blade Runner 2049 can be a terrible, terrible film. It does not diminish the impact of Blade Runner. It's still mm-hmm. a great film. Exactly. It was, an, it was right. the first neo-noir science fiction film as well, and as a film noir guy, I mean, that film is just, it's, it took the noir visuals, and even the version with the voiceover, which is justifiably one of the worst voiceovers ever, plays as a film noir film. It's so influential and so cool, and just a really, really well done idea of the future. Completely wrong, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we'll see. But uh, still, I don't know. It's I don't know. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad we got to go. Yes. I'm glad. I'm glad we watched it. Um, 
there were parts that were really good. I I really hope because apparently like there was this big blow up because Ridley Scott said that the Neil Blomkamp version of Alien was never going to happen. Yeah. And I just I just I wonder how many chickens he was counting before they hatched. Well, when we walked out of the theater, we were there with several other film critics, mm-hmm. and uh, I heard at least one of them say. I don't know if we're going to get another one of these. Mm-hmm. I was just wow. like, well, I wouldn't go that far. It'll do fine. It'll, it'll do, it'll, it'll make its money. It'll be, it'll be popular enough. Prometheus made its money. Yeah. Prometheus was really financially successful. This'll be, this'll do fine. Right. But again, I just, I think we have. I think it's time to let somebody else. Because Ridley Scott did a great job with the original Alien. But what we remember of Alien is Aliens, which was, which was uh, James Cameron. James Cameron. Neil Blomkamp can do a damn good job with these movies. I would really like to see it because I think that where Scott Scott enabled us to look at a science fiction film as a gritty realism mm-hmm. that we weren't seeing right then either. Uh, the idea that you know these these were ordinary people these were these were the these were the these were not heroes, you know this was a small crew of people who were just out there doing a job and they faced off against this unstoppable killing machine and it was all over the woman who sat there and would not let this thing intimidate her or stop her came out on top and she took her cat and she got in her cryo tube <laughs> and she said I'm alive damn it. And Sigourney Weaver became the badass that she is, right? And Ellen Ripley became one of the great genre female characters, or great characters in genre, mm-hmm. period, who happened to be a woman, but also enabled other writers and filmmakers to say, I can have a good female lead, who can be strong and an action hero. Mm-hmm. And Hollywood took about another 20, 30 years to figure that out and get us a Wonder Woman movie, or a Captain Marvel movie, or, you know. Mm-hmm. But... Oh, it's so frustrating when the potential here that just wasn't wasn't realized. So, ha! Huh. Now that we've depressed any of you who are hoping to see this film, <laughs> go watch it. Go watch it and decide for yourself. Tell us, and then tell us how we're wrong or right. Uh, yes, I mean, give us a you know, let us know what you think in the comments. You can find us on iTunes on podcast.com. We would love it if you were to rate and leave us a comment. Really, that does help people find us uh, when they're looking for podcasts, and we would greatly appreciate your help in doing that as well. Thank you for listening to us, Mindy. You're welcome. Thank mm. you for educating me. Don't don't write bad scripts, Mindy. Don't. Get... I will try not to. Don't. And if I ever have a religious figure, I will make sure that they have the whole God alien and establish my relationships ahead of time. Gotcha. And not skipping. give Guy Pierce seven minutes of talking. Uh, well, well, depends on the film. Fine. Like give Guy Pierce. Oh, I give him seven time. minutes of talking with no shirt on. But. Make it in context of the film that the, the, the story that you're telling. Okay, just make it make sure it doesn't just sitting out there on its own. Oh, Otherwise, it's not. gratuitous. Anyway, oh. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Dustin. Yeah, <laughs> Dustin. Dustin's tired. This is a podcast. The second podcast we recorded tonight. Anyway, thank you for listening, folks. We'll be back next year. Next year. <laughs> we will be back next week. I'm never leaving. I'm gonna stay here forever. We are your new monsters. Uh, thank you for listening, folks. We'll be back next week with more It's Apocalypse Now. This has been a presentation of HorrorForMe.com. Copyright 2017.
by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Horror For Me Radio. Ha, 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 ha.